This is the All Around Guy podcast with Mitchell Stevens. You can find the show on Twitter at All Around Guy Podcast One, and you can email the show at All Around Guy Podcast at gmail.com. Week 15 in the NFL, which features some big schedule changes. We're going to get two games on a Monday and two games on a Tuesday to close out a very interesting week starting with the Lions just absolutely owning the Cardinals from start to finish. We're going to talk about that game and why I think some of the quotes from the players after the game are giving some hints to how they feel about their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. Sunday night, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers get shut out at home against the New Orleans Saints. Dennis Allen, who's the defensive coordinator, also happened to be the acting head coach last night with Sean Payton out with COVID has beat Rodgers and Brady three times now in a row. Really, really good stuff from that defense. Dennis Allen's surely going to be back as a head coach next year. And then we'll go through each game as we always do following a Sunday of NFL football. But today's show is going to open with the NFL and their obsessiveness with throwing flags and why this is hurting the product on the TV. And I'll provide them with some short-term solutions that could really change this um, relatively quickly and help keep the flow of the games going along and having to see the NFL referee stopping the game and on our TV less throughout the broadcast. Thank you so much for making this show a part of your day. All Around Guy podcast, week 15 in the NFL. Recap starts right now. So the past couple weeks watching football on Sundays, it seems like every time there's a throw down the field that ends up being an incomplete pass, I'm turning and looking at my friends, whoever I'm watching the game with, and saying, oh, oh, flag. Is there a flag? No, we're good. So you have the NFL, which is known for being the best reality TV show on TV, the most exciting sport. And what's getting taken away from that is anytime the defense makes a play on the ball down the field, you're stopping and having to look and wait if there's a flag. And even the announcers on TV now, I've I've especially noticed the past couple weeks as I've been watching more games in, in the not red zone format and watching games. And when there's that incompletion down the field, the announcers on the TV are saying, incomplete, okay, no flag, this will stand. So on Sunday, during the Packers and Ravens game, there was a couple calls in that game that were were just brutal. And even looking at the year around the league, like there's there's an NFL ref problem with the amount of flags that are thrown. That's that's part of the issue. But another part of the issue is also the teams themselves committing administrative penalties which makes the game equally as hard to watch but I want to start with this past Sunday that's fresh in everybody's mind so Green Bay's got the ball they're driving the ball down the field and Aaron Rodgers gets the defender after he throws the ball puts two hands on the back of him somewhat pushes him and Aaron Rodgers falls down maybe sells a little bit little James Harden you know flop action And they throw a flag for roughing the passer, which is a 15-yard penalty and can be absolutely game-changing and drive-changing, especially when you're going up against an offense like Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers where it's tough enough to stop them. And they showed Harbaugh on the sideline talking to the player. You know, Baltimore is one of the best coach teams in the NFL. I'm sure John Harbaugh... Um, has shown videos and um, taped during the week of, hey, we can't do this or they will call it. So don't do it. No ifs, ands, or buts. And I'm sure it was similar plays because we've seen it called before where they kind of touch the quarterback. You get a veteran quarterback or someone that's well-coached, knows the rules, and goes down. And then you get the 15-yard penalty. That's exactly what happens. But that is not roughing the passer. That is not the intent of how to protect quarterbacks 
when it's questionable whether or not he was even late, you barely touch him, and the quarterback sells it like James Harden can in an NBA game. And 15-yard penalties are game-changing, drive-changing penalties. Another example from the afternoon slate, Matt Ryan on third down against the 49ers. And again, this didn't matter. San Francisco ended up winning the game big. But at the time when it was when it was close, Matt Ryan on third down gets sacked. He had a, a 49er player was on the ground and in the replay showed he reached out and he had one hand on one of Matt Ryan's ankles. And then another defensive player made what would be a form tackle legal sack on him. And the reason they threw the flag was because you can't go low at a quarterback. Again, completely understand the role, the Tom Brady role, but that play, Matt Ryan was at no risk of getting hurt on that play from a defender on the ground having his hand barely touching his ankle. So they call the roughing the passer penalty 15 yards, and that was on a third down. That was on a third down. Atlanta would either had to punt or get a long field goal. They get the 15 yards, and they come back, and they score a touchdown on that very same drive, which kept them in the game for the time being. But again, the 49ers had a stop, maybe a long field goal, maybe a miss. At worst, let's call it three points. Drive keeps going for Atlanta. They score a touchdown, keeps them in the game. Huge game-changing penalty on a very questionable roughing the passer and the intention of the rule there to protect the quarterback. I mean, the Rodgers play and the Matt Ryan play, there, it's one thing for it to be soft or listen to the defender knows better, but those were just frankly not roughing the passer. That were two game-changing 15-yard penalties. Continuing on in now looking at pass interference, so in the Ravens-Packers game, there was a pass interference call in the third quarter against the Ravens where it was, again, it was third down. The corner, I couldn't see him do anything. He was barely, looked like even touching the receiver, just kind of running with him. It was third down. They get him for pass interference. If anything, it looked like maybe earlier in their play, it could have been a holding penalty. So you're looking at five yards instead of a spot foul which on that play was about a 20-yard difference, especially when with that spot foul, it got him to the Packers to about the 10-yard line. And the next play, what do the Packers do? They run the ball in for a touchdown to go up 21-14 versus, hey, no call at all. It's a field goal, so 17-14. And with Mason Crosby this year, it's been an adventure, so maybe it's a miss, and maybe the game is tied. And then even if it's a holding, you get five yards, so you keep them at about the 20, 25 yard line, which again, like red zone gets tighter. It's tougher to go into instead of giving them that extra 10 yards to get the ball at the 10 yard line. And so that third down becomes a first down 10 yard line. They run in for a touchdown to go up 21, 14, a game changing penalty, which again, spot foul pass interference in the NFL. I, they needed to go to the college role of just 15 yards. Because it's absolutely changing games. I don't think if it goes to 15 yards, all of a sudden you're just going to have all of these safeties tackling wide receivers as they run by them. Maybe you do like the NBA does with a clear path rule where, hey, you have pass interference one more common 15-yard penalty. If someone was running down the field and they just get tackled because they were burned and they know it's not a spot foul anymore, you can still award a spot foul have pass interference one, pass interference two, because these calls that are incredibly subjective, it's really tough for the referees with how fast the game is moving. And you watch the game on TV, and again, the NFL is the best product to watch on TV. Um, And it's getting to the point where I feel like I'm watching Doc Rivers when he was with the Clippers, and he had Chris Paul, and their game's to me got unwatchable because they couldn't do anything without throwing their arms up in the air looking for a foul, right? And it's getting to the point now where quarterbacks are just throwing the ball down the field. Hey, we may not have a chance here, but if we throw it up, maybe we'll just get a flag. And and part of it, smart strategy, but 
more often than not, when it's questionable or tie goes to the runner, like in baseball, you know, if it's close, they're throwing the flag. The, the NFL needs to have the referees, if it's close, keep the flags in their pocket. They're probably still worried about what happened in New Orleans a couple years ago where you had the blatant PI miss where they tried an instant replay for um, pass interference that didn't work. That's a one-off. That's a one bad call. Like You're not going to have another huge blatant PI miss. I'm talking about really close plays. Both wide receiver and corner are hand-fighting down the field. Just keep the flag in the pocket. Let them, let them play out the game on the field because these 15-yard penalties just absolutely are brutal. They keep it for the um, the offense. Like there's enough rules right now with the RPOs and and um, the pick plays on offense that make it easier for the offense to score points. Defense having good physical play on the outside. They don't need it any tougher to make plays. And from a fan's perspective and watching these games, it's becoming to a point where it's it's annoying to watch because whether whether I have a rooting interest in the game, a fantasy football interest in the game, you know, a betting interest in the game, I'm finding myself whenever there's a ball thrown farther than 10 yards, 15 yards down the field, and it looks like a close play, it looks like a good play, and it's bang, bang, I'm waiting for the flag. And with the technology we have now in the instant replay, when you slow those plays down, it's always going to look like some sort of contact or the defender was there a little bit early. Just, just the way it is when you slow it down that much. Real-time, bang-bang plays. To me, pass interference and these 15-yard spot penalties that change drives and change games, it needs to be clear and obvious. The referee should have to be able to defend exactly what the defender did to draw that penalty. And if you can't, and maybe it was close, it was going back and forth, keep the flag in the pocket. It'll. I'm tired of seeing the ball go down the field, having to wait 10 seconds, flag, flag, no flag. You have the quarterback yelling at the referee in the back, the wide receiver putting his arms up, really depending on what sideline it goes to. If it goes to the offense's team sideline to play on that sideline, and you have the whole coaching staff there, the referee's definitely going to be more inclined to throw that flag. So there's too many factors, um, and it's happening too much now where teams on offense are getting used to getting that flag. If it's close, they're getting it. The logic needs to change to where if it's close, the tie goes to the defender and keep the flag in the pocket, make the offense earn these drives. There's enough going against this defense. And especially now with the amount of states that are legalizing sports gambling, and how this can turn games as much as it has, the NFL is going to have to figure out their um, subjective calls with roughing the passer and pass interference because 15-yard penalties and spot fouls change games. They change drives. And, and the NFL just has an issue right now with the amount of calls that are very, very close that are always seeming to go the offensive way. And then the second part of it is as I'm sitting there as a viewer enjoying this product, any ball that's thrown down the field, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that flag. And the other part of the roughing the passer is, at least with pass interference, when you're watching the game on TV, you're on the receiver and defensive back. Like that's where the camera is. So you're there at home. You're like, oh, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But these roughing the passer penalties are happening outside of the television screen. So you watch the play happen, the play's over, the flag comes up and there's a flag down. You're like, oh, what was it? A hold maybe on the offense, something like that. And then the broadcast brings you to the replay of the roughing the passer. So you're, you're seeing a flag that is got the possibility of really changing the game in a drive and it's happening. The viewer has to wait until a replay to see it on the broadcast rather than real time like the majority of other penalties are happening even holding penalties now this year i think the league's done a much better job a lot of them have been clear and obvious even as a viewer less sharp of an eye when it comes to some of those holds you're like oh you can see it right in the nfl it's like god man if that guy's got that huge hole to run through outside of the minnesota Steelers thursday night game a couple nights ago 
you you're like man there must have been holding there and you go back and you see it and it and it makes sense these roughing the passer calls you don't see at all the first time you're going to get exposed to it's a replay which to me really hurts the experience of the viewer on the year there's been 2675 penalties which is the equivalent to about 12 per game so that means if you're going to turn on any NFL game this year expect to see the referee about 12 times per game which is way too many we don't need superstars in the in in the NFL at the referee position. We've seen it in baseball where guys like Angel Hernandez try to become the star of the game. We definitely don't want that. We know it's happened before in the NBA as well. We're getting to the point where the referees are in a position and it almost seems like with how they're being told to officiate games, they have way too much control. This year about 19% of the penalties have been with roughing the passer and pass interference. Those really tough subjective calls that are 15-yard penalties, spot fouls, change the course of the game. Now on the flip side, there needs to be some accountability for the teams because false start penalties, um, illegal motion, not being able to set up at the line for a play as an NFL, as a professional athlete making million dollars a year, just takes away from the watchability of the game and the overall product. And those have accounted for 38% of the total penalties this year. If I'm a team, if I'm the NFL, I may even look at finding guys that are excessively false starting, unable to get set up, the illegal motions, the coaching staffs. We don't need more stoppages in the game. One of the reasons why the NFL is so popular is because of how fast it moves. Every time the game gets taken away for the ref to come on screen and stop the game and you stop that momentum, you ruin the enjoyability that the viewer has watching the game. And some of these penalties that you're seeing when you have to see the ref 12 times per game, if you can get rid of four of those and get it down to eight just from teams being able to line up legal motion, false start, it would add so much value to the broadcast. And then it would help with the more subjective calls because, hey, I have to see Cleet Blakeman less. I'm already happier about that. You know, he comes on the screen for the roughing the passer or the pass interference. At least I haven't seen him three times in the past five minutes for administrative penalties, whether it's on the offense or the defense. The penalties are an issue for the NFL. Legalized gambling, the watchability of the product and the pace of the game this year, on average, you're seeing the referee just for penalties 12 times per game. So if you factor in the reviews and the replays, that means about 16 times per game you're going to see the NFL referee talking to you at home, which is taken away from the game. Get rid of the administrative penalties from these teams. Get cleaner. Incentivize them to get cleaner so we only have to see the refs 8 to 10 times per game, which would be a much better cadence. They need to give the tie to the defender on some of these bang-bang, roughing the passer and pass interference penalties because 15-yard spot fouls, they just absolutely change drives and can change the game. And then just from a viewer perspective, when the ball gets broken up down the field, 15 yards down the field, every time I'm sitting on the couch, whether I have invested interest in the game or not, just is there a flag that they throw out? Nope, nope, nope. All right. And then even with how late some of these flags go, even when I get to the point, I'm like, all right, they're not going to throw, they're not going to throw it. I have another five, seven seconds in my internal clock in my head where I'm like, okay, there was no flag. I'm good. I'm good. I'm interested to see what the NFL does this offseason in the competition committee because they need to address it. They need to figure out how to officiate the game in a cleaner, in a cleaner way to help the watchability of the product. It's one of the things, in my opinion, that's really going against the NFL, and there's some pretty easy solutions out there. Week 15 in the NFL. Let's start game by game from NFL Sunday action right now. Panthers, Bills. The Panthers were without a kicker in this one as Zane Gonzalez and warmups hurt his hamstring. Um, they ended up having to go for it on every fourth down, which they were one for five on. They also had to go for two, which they were one for two on for two point conversions as they didn't have anybody that could kick on the team. Um, There's some funny videos out there that were going around during pregame of 
different skill position guys um, working on onside kicks, trying to kick field goals to see um, if they had any hidden talents on the team to make up for Zane Gonzalez being out of this game, which they did not. 11 minutes left in this game. We had a game. It was 24-14. Uh, the Bills had a big sack on Cam Newton, which ended up leading to Josh Allen um, throwing a touchdown pass that sealed the game. The Bills ended up winning 31-14. They moved to 8-6. and six. With the rematch against the Patriots next week, um, remember two weeks ago where the Patriots only had to throw the ball three times in a win, and McDermott with some words after the game that I'm sure Belichick will remember heading into this week. Um, so really excited for the Bills-Patriots rematch. The good news in this one coming out of Buffalo was Josh Allen's sprained foot was a non-issue. Um, according to him, he was 19 of 34 for 210 yards. He had three touchdowns and a pick. What I saw was he was a little less mobile than normal. They really didn't use him in the running game. Um, he was sacked four times, um, wasn't as shifty in the pocket with that foot. So we'll see how he looks um, against the Patriots. Singletary at running back for the Bills had a season high of 86 yards. So when you're starting running back in week 15, his season high is 86 yards rushing. You know the running game has some opportunity, especially when Josh Allen, who's a big factor in that, has the sprained foot. Um, it was good to see him be able to play all four quarters. Um, he still looks affected by it, especially with seeing some sacks. Um, he had another turnover in this game, which has been an opportunity for for him all year. But to me, the biggest concern from Buffalo is just the balance on offense. When your season high from your starting running back is 86 yards in week 15, that says enough. But next week, we get the Bills rematch against the Patriots. And Cam Newton and the Panthers will play Tampa Bay. The last time Cam Newton won a game as a starting quarterback for the Panthers was November 4th, 2018 against Tampa Bay. And that's who they have next week. Bills improved at eight and six. Panthers fall to five and nine. But Josh Allen plays all four quarters and um, says his sprained foot feels good, which is a win in itself for the Bills as they get ready for the Patriots. Cardinals Lions. The Lions had control of this game from the start. The Cardinals had a total of three plays in the first quarter. The game, the final score was thirty to twelve, but it, it really wasn't even that close. Um, the Cardinals have a lot of work to do. The Lions running back Craig Reynolds from Cutstown College ran for a career high 112 yards on that defense. The Cardinals started the year 7-0. They've lost four of their last seven. This was also their first road loss of the season. We saw Kyler Murray struggle. His body language was incredibly negative. Some eye rolls when he threw a pick. Um, the ball was intended for A.J. Green. As soon as the ball was picked, before he even ran after to tackle the guy, he was signaling to A.J. Green the, the comeback signal, like, hey, you got to come back to the ball. That ball was too inside. If, if he came back to it, it was still going to be picked off. But what was really interesting is after the game, um, you know, you know, Cliff gave the coach speak, you know, out coach, out played, whatever. But Kyler said, we didn't come prepared. Little little hint maybe at, at Cliff. And then Zach Ertz, veteran guy, really good tight end in the league for a while, now been with the Cardinals a couple weeks, says we don't want this to spiral. Momentum in the NFL is a real thing, good or bad. So my takeaway between the Murray quote and the Zach Ertz quote is maybe it's a little cultural thing in Arizona. Maybe it's been, hey, you know, we came into this game 10 and 3. It's the Lions. You know, they've won one game and it was against the Vikings. And they come in and get absolutely outplayed top to bottom. Three total plays in the first quarter. 30 to 12 is actually closer than this game actually was because the Cardinals got a garbage time touchdown and they let Craig Reynolds run for over 100 yards on him. I get the feeling from Kyler and what Ertz had to say after the game. A lot of this was coaching. Kingsbury maybe a little lax in preparation coming in. The team said, and this isn't just the coach speak from Cliff after the game. This is your star quarterback, veteran guy, Zach Ertz, been in the league a while saying, we're not ready. We weren't ready for this game. We can't let this spiral. The hangover from the Rams loss was very real in this game for the Cardinals, which to me signals to coaching with Cliff Kingsbury. 
The Cardinals are going to have to figure it out quickly this week as they come back on Saturday against the Colts. So now you get another short week where, as um, Zach Ertz alerted to, you need to get it figured out quickly. Cardinals fall to 10-4. and four. Lions get their second win of the season. They move to 2-11-1. Dan Campbell's team came ready to play, and it showed not so much for Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals, and you could sense it from the players after the game. Jets-Dolphins This was one of those games on Sunday where I can't believe I watched as much of it as I did, but with a relatively weak opening game slate, I, I got in quite a bit of this game. I thought Tua looked awful. Um, I know he didn't have Waddle. Final numbers were maybe better than I thought they were going to be. 16 of 27, 196 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks, including one pick six that let the Jets tie the game when the Dolphins should have put it away. Tua had another throw in the first half that was high over the middle that hit a Jets safety who already had a pick at that point right in the breadbasket, which should have been another INT. Um, Dolphins were able to hold on to win 31 and 24. The Dolphins started the year one and seven, and they're now seven and seven with that last wild card spot in the AFC lurking. But they finish against the Saints, the Titans, and the Patriots, which could really just be mm, maybe three losses in a row to close. So as they they've rebounded from a rough start, but you got three really tough games to finish. Titans and Patriots will be playoff teams. The Saints may be a playoff team, so maybe three playoff teams that you're closing against. So it's going to be tough for Miami to lock up that last wild card spot. With what I saw from Tua and how he played against the Jets, I don't think they'll win any three of those final games. Um, maybe getting Waddle back will help him get more dynamic. The Dolphins, um, to me, just that slow start is a good comeback, but it's going to be too little too late with a tough closing schedule. Zach Wilson, um, again, I was extremely unimpressed with Zach Wilson. 13 of 23, 170 yards. Um, he didn't have any turnovers, but he took six sacks. You know, he doesn't seem to see the field all that well. And then his eye vision looks like it drops. So as it's dropping into his offensive lineman, it's another half second to a second that he's not looking down the field, which gives the defense time to get in there um, and bring him down. He had a quarterback sneak for a touchdown. And when he took his helmet off and went to the bench after the quarterback sneak, it looked like it, he looked rough. He looked like he got banged up just from the contact of being in that pile, you know, a smaller guy. And I was going to go more in on how unimpressive I thought I was with Zach Wilson. And then as I was looking at his supporting cast, Crowder at wide receiver, Ryan Griffin's his tight end, Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman was a number two running back most of his career in Atlanta and what he did really well was catch the ball, not even run the ball. And now he's the primary running back for the Jets. Um, it didn't even look like they were getting him much involved in the passing game, which is his strength. And then you have Michael Carter, the second at running back. So as unimpressed as I was with Zach Wilson and, and some of the vision stuff and Hey, a quarterback sneak just from that contact, he looked really banged up. His surrounding cast is just awful. Um, the fact that Robert Salah's got this team playing hard in week 15 and they're, you know, they're three and 11. I think he's a great coach, long-term fit for the Jets, but my goodness, I don't want to go too in on Zach Wilson with that supporting cast. Cause it's, it's awful. Same thing with Tua without Waddle, but, but Tua was at times incredibly inaccurate. And man, when he was off, it was right in the breadbasket to the Jets. Same thing with Zach Wilson, just Loses that eye contact on the field. Took some really bad sacks. Six total. Dolphins 7-7. Seven and seven. Three playoff teams left on their schedule. I don't think they're going to win any one of them based on what I saw yesterday. I expect them to miss the playoffs. Cowboys-Giants. The old adage that defense wins championships. The Dallas Cowboys with Dan Quinn. They have a NFL leading forced 26 turnovers. Trayvon Diggs got his 10th interception of the season during this game. Their defense has now forced four turnovers in three straight games. And the scary part is their defensive line is getting healthy. They had Randy Gregory and Demarcus Lawrence back in this game. Cowboys moved to 10 and four, knocking off the Giants 21 to six on offense. Wasn't very explosive. Didn't see much out wide from CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. Dolan Schultz had a good game, eight catches on eight targets. 
Dak seemed to be checking out of a lot of plays and, and handing the ball off. And, and that's what wins games December come January. I feel like this Cowboys team is built for December and January football. They're getting healthy at the right time of year on defense. They're playing smart ball controlled on offense. With what they have, you know they have some explosive plays out there. It was cold weather in New York, a little windy. Dak normally doesn't play well in that kind of weather. It was a team win all around for the Cowboys. Defense, the fact that that defense is already is getting healthier this time of year is scary. They're forcing turnovers. They're playing as one. Opposite of what I talked about with the Cardinals, after the game, Diggs' post-game press conference talking about how D. Lawrence is their guy. He's the leader of the defense. He's their veteran. You see they're bought in together. They truly believe in what they're doing. Dan Quinn's doing an awesome job running that defense. On the flip side from the Giants, you go in where you have Mike Lennon starting for an injured Daniel Jones who threw for 99 yards, a couple picks. Jake Fromm from Georgia getting some time in that game after they pulled Glennon. But to me, the concerning part was Saquon Barkley. Barkley made a ridiculous one-handed catch on a, on a third down in the game. But outside of that, he had 15 carries for 50 yards. His longest run of the day was six yards. Again, that Cowboys defensive line is tough, and that Giants offensive line is, is bottom four, bottom five in the league. But it still did not seem like Barkley wanted to take on any guys in contact. He really just wants to get the ball in space in the screen game. He had four catches for 24 yards. He likes to work the sidelines. Booker, the backup running back, he had eight carries for 74 yards, much more efficiency. He had their big two chunk plays in the game, including a 31-yard run. If I'm a Giants fan right now, I'm concerned about Barkley. I get the offensive line. But the fact that he wasn't that aggressive, and his backup running back was incredibly more efficient. He had seven less carries, but 24 more yards, including their chunk plays in that offense, is really concerning as a Giants fan today. I get what the Cowboys' defense is, but if Booker can get some some good, strong runs in, some chunk plays, you would expect Barkley could have been a much bigger factor. And the way the Cowboys' offense played, the Giants could have been in this game um, with a little bit more help from Barkley and helping out Glennon and not being in so many third and long and not as manageable situations and not see the toughness from Saquon Barkley that you'd want to see from your number one running back. Cowboys defense leads them to a win. They're now 10 and four. Really great shape to win that NFC East and get into some good seating position um, these last couple weeks in the NFC as they get ready for the playoffs. Titans Steelers. When this game ended, I thought it was the surprise of the day before the Saints shut out the Bucks at home. But the Steelers winning 19-13, I thought the Titans were going to win this game by, you know, 10-14 points. The Titans turned the ball over four times, and they did so looking like a really bad football team. Ryan Tannehill couldn't catch the snap from his center on one of them. It wasn't much prettier on the Steelers' offensive side of the ball as they only had a total of 168 yards. But the highlight of the day was Big Ben gets his first rushing touchdown in three years on a QB sneak from the one-yard line. If If you're in the fantasy football playoffs, you're losing your mind. They have first down and goal from the one. They give it to Harris. The Titans stopped him. Kind of looked like he might have got in. They ruled him just short. Big Ben... On second down, gets denied on the sneak. On third down, you're like, oh, it's got to go back to Harris. Nope. Big Ben sneaks it in. First rushing touchdown in three years. Chris Boswell had four field goals. His first one of the day, Jim Nance tried to throw an announcer's jinx on him. And and Boswell was perfect, especially kicking out Heinz Field in December. It's really tough to do. Tannehill, 153 yards, sacked four times. Turnover problems consistent. The Titans running game had 202 yards. Um, Foreman had 108 yards himself on the ground. So their run game was not the issue. They did what they needed to do. Um, You can't even say the defense really gave up 19 points because of the short fields the Steelers had a few times to really only score 19 points and, and hold them to as many field goals as they did was impressive. This came down to Ryan Tannehill. We knew when Henry got hurt, it was going to be, is Tannehill enough? Is he going to be able to carry this? They had Julio Jones for the first half. 
First play of the game, it was a great call. Tony Romo showed on the broadcast. They had Julio Jones open down the field. Probably would have been a touchdown. Tannehill took a sack. Um, again, the Steelers, the best part of that defense with TJ Watt and some other guys in that front seven. But it was a really ugly game all the way around. And Mike Tomlin and the Steelers, they win ugly football games. I love what Rabel's doing in Tennessee. It's kind of a game that you'd expect Tennessee to win too. But Tannehill... Sacked four times. Tennessee had a total of, of four turnovers. Um, and not not a ton um, from Tannehill that game to make us think that coming out of that, there's a ton of belief there. Tennessee, from their strong start, will make the playoffs. Right now, I think they're a one-and-done team. They have a short week. They're going to go to San Francisco Thursday night. San Francisco, maybe outside of Green Bay. In New England up until Saturday night. Right now looks like the hottest team in football. We'll get to that a little bit later. I think they're going to get spanked on Thursday night. It's tough to clean up the issues the Titans have in a short week. Turnovers, penalties, San Francisco Thursday night. That's a brutal game coming off of a tough physical loss where it was extremely sloppy against Pittsburgh. Titans fall to 9-5. and five. Steelers improved to 7-6-1. and one. And in the very close, wild AFC North this year that it's hard. Like, who's going to come on top? The Steelers are still alive in the AFC North. Texans, Jaguars. All around five. Money line redemption come true. The Texans' money line pick was a winner. They win 30-16, to 16, which means the Texans improve to 3-1. The Jaguars fall to 2-12. and 12. And this puts them in position with the Lions winning against the Cardinals for the first pick in the NFL draft. Next week, we get the Jets and Jaguars, which means the number one and the number two pick, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, will face off against each other for the first time. David Mills getting the start in Houston. As we know, it's his job for the rest of the year. 19 of 30 for 209 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Him and Brandon Cooks have a really solid connection. Cooks caught both of those touchdown passes, including five other catches for 102 yards. Good to see him play really well. Probably the most exciting part of this game was when the Jaguars had the ball about the two-yard line. A fan ended up in the end zone. If they ran a pass play, he would have been wide open in the end zone. Would have been interested to see if he would have caught it for the Jaguars or took it for a pick six. Um, The... You talk about coaching, special teams play is indicative of coaching, and the Jaguars' special team cost them 17 points in this game, including a kickoff return for a touchdown. That was the first kickoff return for a touchdown the Texans have had since October 4th of 2019, and the player that returned it as a rookie when he was with the Chiefs took one back and was tackled at the three-yard line, and so... He's always had that in his career, so it's good for him that he was able to run it in so he doesn't have to keep reliving his rookie year with the Chiefs getting stopped at the three-yard line. The Texans with Mills, it looks like that offense is doing well. They got David Johnson back in the run game, um, which was really huge. They had a really balanced day. 30 times they threw the ball, 25 times they, they ran the ball. They took advantage of the mistakes that Jacksonville made on special teams. The Texans... The Texans look like a real football team. Um, the Jaguars, again, first game without Urban. They still look poorly coached. Looking forward to seeing Trevor Lawrence versus Zach Wilson next week. All around five, money line, comeback pick. It's a winner. Thank you, Texans. They win 30-16. to 16. Jacksonville now in line for the first pick in the NFL draft for the second year in a row. Bengals, Broncos. So if I told you Chase would have one catch for three yards, T. Higgins would have two catches for 23 yards, you would probably think that the Broncos would win this game. But Tyler Boyd, with the big touchdown of the game, he ended up with five catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown as the Bengals beat the Broncos on the road, 15-10. They get to 8-6 and six to stay competitive in the close fight in the AFC North especially with the Steelers winning and the Ravens losing. The Broncos fall to 7-7, seven and seven, which hurt their chances of a wild card spot in the AFC. Also interesting in this game is the turn at the end of the first half. The Broncos miss a long field goal since he gets the ball back. 
It was a big catch by Boyd again to set him up for a field goal that McPherson made to go up 6-3 heading into the half. Um, Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt in this game. He's stable and doing fine. Drew Locke came in. He did lead them on their only scoring drive of the game, which was a touchdown pass to Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick received an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for excessive celebration, which brought the kickoff back and set up Cincinnati to get the ball at the 33-35 yard line, which set up the Boyd long touchdown play, which ended up being the difference in the game. Drew Locke and the Denver offense looked incompetent. A couple bad turnovers that were also key in the game. And the last play of the game, fourth down, just, you know, got to throw it up, maybe do a lateral situation. Drew Locke drops back. And what does he do? Of all things that you can do, even worse than taking a sack in that situation, which he did a couple plays earlier, was he threw the ball away. So end of the game, last drive, the big no-nos are don't take a sack with no timeouts. He does that. Last throw of the game. Just, you know, throw something up, jump ball, maybe throw something short. You do the lateral game. Drew Locke throws it away, protects his interception um, stat number. Unbelievable finish to the game with there. Was in disbelief. I was looking for a flag or something, a whistle. Like, why do you just throw the ball away there? Just threw it, threw it out of bounds to the sideline. No play, no chance for Denver to have a miracle happen at the end of the game. Huge road win for the Bengals. I think this says a lot more about them than it does Denver. They claw out a gutty win on the road. Cold game, December football. Their two best wide receivers, Chase and Higgins, who we know Joe Burrow loves, they get taken out of the game. They combine for only three catches. And the depth of that offense with Tyler Boyd stepping up as the number three wide receiver had to have a big game. He does. They get enough points to win this game. Defense played well, forcing the couple turnovers. 15-10. Bengals 8-6. and six. Still holding on tight for that AFC North division where it's very close. Really tough. Broncos fall to 7-7. Seven and seven. Going to be tougher than the last couple weeks here to eke out a wild card spot, especially as it looks like Bridgewater will miss a couple games with a concussion and Drew Locke does not appear to be the answer for them and what they'll need at quarterback. Really tough home loss this time of year in December when you're fighting for a playoff spot. Big gutty win for the Bengals as they battle for that AFC North Division title. Falcons 49ers. Two things stand out for me for this game. I actually like Atlanta coming into this game a little bit, um, mostly to cover nine and a half points. I thought that was just a lot for San Francisco to cover. But Atlanta is now 0-5 against teams with a a winning record, and they've lost those games by an average of 23 and a half points so I shouldn't have been surprised when the 49ers put it on them a little bit, 31-13. And this 49ers team, after a slow start, does not feel like your normal 8-6 and six team. This feels like the 2019 49ers. They ran for three touchdowns in this game. Um, Bosa had his 15th sack of the season, his sixth straight game with a sack. Defense, pressure the quarterback, running the ball, Garoppolo throwing for over 200 and. 200 yards, controlling the game really well. Kittle back healthy. He led the team in receiving yards yesterday. This is a team that if I'm part of that top four in the NFC right now, I am doing everything I can to not have to face San Francisco until you absolutely have to in the playoffs. Debo Samuel has been one of my favorite stories in football this year. Um, he got his seventh rushing touchdown of the season in this game. He had 29 yards rushing the touchdown. Additionally, at wide receiver, which is his primary position, he had four catches for 60 yards. He can do it all. He's going to be breaking some records, it looks like, this year for what he's doing as a wide receiver running back. Um, and he's going against Cordell Patterson, who's doing you know some really good stuff similarly in Atlanta. Maybe not getting as much of attention because you flipped the record. Atlanta 6-8 and eight again. They haven't beat a team with a winning record all year. But both guys, it's really impressive. It's cool to see them playing multiple positions and doing it really well and getting the opportunity to do so. This Atlanta team, um, they're beating up on some bad teams. They're just not a very good football team, and it shows when they play a team with a winning record. San Francisco right now is incredibly hot. They're peaking at the right time of the year. They're doing what Kyle Shanahan wants to do 
um, which is which is really what is scary about teams. When teams are going out and they're saying this is our identity and they're going out and they're doing it, those are the teams that you don't want to play. They have a lot of confidence. Again, you look at some of the post-game comments from some of the veteran guys talking about how they're peaking at the right time. They can still play better. It's a team that's on the same page that you really feel like is moving in the right direction. Um, like what I'm seeing from San Francisco, incredibly creative on offense. Garoppolo playing much better, not turning the ball over again. That play-action game, that running game. Um, Jeff Wilson had over 100 yards. It opens up the whole offense for Garoppolo. San Francisco right now, those top four teams that are kind of been the past couple of weeks controlling the top four seeds in the NFC, none of them want to play San Francisco. Big Thursday night game, they go in, they play a struggling Tennessee team um, Thursday night to keep this run going. But Debo Samuel, he's accounted for 25% of the yards this year in San Francisco for their offense, which is fourth in the NFL. Yesterday, I was trying to think of the other three guys. My guess was Cooper Cup um, definitely has to be one. Jonathan Taylor um, and Indy, and I couldn't I couldn't come up with who the third is um, or find the stat anywhere. Was still impressive at running back and wide receiver. What Debo Samuel has done this year. This San Francisco team is hot at the right time, playing great defense, elite pass rusher with Bosa. He's four and a half sacks away from setting the franchise record for individual sacks in a season. San Francisco, watch out. They're one of my favorite teams in the league right now. And if I'm a fan of any of those NFC teams, those top four seeds right now, I want to not have to play San Francisco at all, or if you end up having to, as late as possible. Seeding will be a huge factor, especially with teams like the 49ers. Getting hot have been there before at the right time of the year. Packers-Ravens. This was the game of the day. Uh, Packers almost blow a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. Hold on to win 31-30 with the Ravens having a backup quarterback. The all-around five that I gave out last week, I had the Packers covering six and a half. And about 10 minutes left in the game, it looked like a sure thing um, until Tyler Huntley, who played great for Baltimore, was able to bring him back. The Ravens had a depleted secondary, too. I actually thought the, the Packers were going to score more than 31 points in this game, um, maybe maybe get closer to 40. Um, the Packers clinched their division. According to ESPN's Football Power Index, they have a 71% chance now um, of getting the number one seed in the NFC. So they got some help from the Lions beating the Cardinals as well. Um, Aaron Rodgers in this game also tied Brett Favre um, for the all-time leading touchdown thrower in Green Bay history. So he should break that um, this weekend when they play on Christmas Day. But this is now the third consecutive loss for the Ravens. They fall to eight and six. Crowded AFC North. You got the Steelers with seven wins. The Bengals also at eight and six. And you score at the end of the game to get within one. Extra point ties the game. The two-point conversion. Second week in a row, Baltimore tries it and fails, you know, to cause, you know, so they lose again. And I absolutely disagree with the decision to go for two. I thought in the Pittsburgh game, it made complete sense because your secondary is depleted. You lost your best corner during that game. You lost Lamar Jackson during that game. You got a full week of practice in. Huntley was great in this game. Your defense made some big stops in the fourth quarter to get the ball back twice, two times they had to do it. Really, they even had a third stop because you had a really bad roughing the passer penalty in this game that I alluded to in the in the open of the show. So you're, you already knew what you had in your secondary. You knew what you had with Huntley. You had a full week of practice and game plan going into it. It felt like being down 14 in the fourth quarter and you have a chance to kick an extra point with Justin, who doesn't miss Tucker. That's what I would have done. You get the ball. Maybe you get the coin toss. You've shown, hey, you've already got 31 points. Maybe you can put a touchdown, throw it away. The defense was doing enough that I felt like even with that secondary, if Green Bay gets the toss, you can stop them. And over time, if they win the toss, maybe do a field goal. Maybe you stop them on fourth down if they get aggressive. Baltimore had all the momentum. 
Green Bay didn't have an answer for Mark Andrews. You get the ball in overtime, keep leaning on him. Mark Andrews, 10 catches, 136 yards, two touchdowns. I get the two-point conversion went to Mark Andrews, but the two-point conversion against Pittsburgh also went to Mark Andrews. So it was one play. You know Green Bay knew that play. Hey, Mark Andrews, they went to it last week. So it was really fresh film the week before so Green Bay could be prepared for that play. I get it's easy when a play doesn't work and we know the result to say I wouldn't have done that. In the moment, I was saying kick the extra point. Coming back from 14, you know, I had the all-around five bet on this. I had money on this game. I could feel the momentum slipping away from Green Bay um, ever since uh, Rodgers missed Lassard and the chance and the touchdown there um, to seal the game. I would have kicked it, gone to overtime. Green Bay didn't have an answer for Mark Andrews. The depleted secondary was playing much better. You knew what you had with a full week of practice with Huntley and what you had available on defense. It was all going Baltimore's way. That one play when Green Bay saw what you did a week ago going to Mark Andrews, and you could see it on tape with the safety just flying to Mark Andrews in the corner there, I would have kicked the extra point. Green Bay gets to 11-3. and Like I said, 71% chance now according to Football Power Index and ESPN, to get the one seed. They also have a little bit more of a dynamic of a backfield with Aaron Jones, and you can tell they really like A.J. Dillon. The two of them combined for 20 carries, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Would have been nice to see them go to them in the run game a little bit more to close out that um, 14-point lead and and help the all-around five and um, my bank account with DraftKings for the week. But overall, this Green Bay team... Outside of the last eight minutes of that game, um, even though they made a play that they had to make on the road to get the win, from what I've seen the past two, three weeks right now, Green Bay looks like the best team in football, um, especially after New England really struggling against the Colts. Um, the Packers, really tough road win in December against the Ravens. Definitely felt like they should have covered in the all-around five. And again, I may have also wanted them to kick the extra point to give Green Bay a chance to score a touchdown and cover the six and a half for the all-around five. But even even once I got past that um, and the points I made earlier just felt like going for two there, running a similar play as the week before just wasn't the right call for Baltimore. Three losses in a row. AFC North is extremely crowded. Packers in a great position in the one seed now at 11-3. and three, And a nice win for them. They controlled most of the game. They hold on. Packers 31, Ravens 30. Um, Ravens now giving themselves a lot of work these past couple weeks to fight with Cincinnati and the Steelers to see who can win the AFC North. Saints-Bucks. I still feel like the Lions and the Cardinals was the big surprise of the day. And I know the Bucks getting shut out at home. No one, no one would have predicted that. But Dennis Allen and the Saints have had Tom Brady's number. Brady coming into this game, 255 straight games without being shut out. He ended up going 26 of 48 for 213 yards. And this is my biggest issue with the Bucks from a game plan perspective, is you're coming in, Brady's getting rushed, and I get the Saints have a really good front four, but it's only a 9 nothing game. You're only down, the, the most you're down at some point in the game is 9. And to me, they abandoned the run way too early. Fournette, a couple times that they gave him the ball, had a little four or five yard burst, and I'm like, oh, now we get second and manageable. You know, Brady's got the quick release, get out of the hand. You still don't have Antonio Brown in this game. It looked like they were doubling Gronkowski and not having Giovanni Bernard because Brady likes having that receiving running back was huge. Um, his backup played, and and Brady had him on a little angle route, and um, the running back that was playing for Bernard just fell down. And Brady's face after that play, when they looked at him, said, everything that needed to be said with his frustration during that game. So you also don't have Giovanni Bernard helping out in the backfield um, to catch passes. I would have liked to see Tampa try and lean on Fournette a lot more. When you only, the most, the, the Saints scored nine points and the Bucks trying to throw 48 times was, was way too many. Brady, the couple interceptions, the fumble when he tried to run upfield, um, got punched from behind. After the game, Bruce Arians said, the kicking game also let them down. Suckup only missed one field goal, so that's 9-3. So 
And after that, the Bucks were never in a position to get down and even get a touchdown. They punted eight time, eight times. He had an average of 42 and a long of 51. So if you're going to ask your punter to punt eight times, I think you're going to have bigger problems than than the kicking game letting you down. There was only there was one bad punt that only went 30 something yards, but that's not the reason that you lost the game. Um, I get maybe Bruce trying to fend Brady again, but you know Brady's going to be hard on himself. The kicking game had nothing to do with that. I'm not I'm not sure what Arians was thinking. Throwing the ball 48 times in that game to me was where the Bucks just got away from it. You get away from the run. They played right into the Saints game plan. Jordan talked about it after the game. Monster game for him with some sacks on the D-line of let's pressure Brady. We know his quick release. They know where he likes to go to the ball when he checks it. You know, Gronkowski. I Not having Bernard, I think, was huge because Brady didn't have that other quick flat option. And then at the end of the game or in the fourth quarter, you lost Chris Godwin. Um, for the year, probably a lot of next year with an ACL injury. He's also expected to be a free agent, um, having a monster year and a contract year. So hope that he can get better. That's a huge loss for the Bucs. Um, you, you know, I think now the most the interesting thing is prior to the, this last strike, if you will, on Antonio Brown with the COVID stuff in the fake vaccine card, Bruce Arian said before that if he gets one more strike, he won't come back to the team. Well, that was one more strike. So now you lose Godwin, you know, I don't know when they'll get Bernard back. I'll expect Antonio Brown to be back on the field soon as it's definitely showing that he's a huge miss um, because teams can kind of bracket Gronk and Brady doesn't have many other places to go with the ball. Um, And they'll need Mike Evans to get going now too, especially with Godwin being out um, the rest of the year as they look to make a push. Really impressive win by the Saints. They moved to seven and seven, and with that extra wild card spot, you know they're they're in position to be in contention for it. But they don't feel like a playoff team. Um, Taysom Hill at quarterback. I thought they did a nice job early on, having a couple throws down the field. He hit Callaway early, had a couple other nice chunk plays, but it looked it looked very set up um, for him. He ran the ball a couple times nicely. Getting Kamara back's a difference in that in that offense. Um, he looks really good. The Saints go and play the Dolphins, who are also seven and seven on Monday Night Football this week. They could shut out the Dolphins based on how the Dolphins' offense looked and Tua looked against the Jets and get to eight and seven. But I still don't think they're a playoff team based on the feel of the offense and 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 Hill being relatively new to the starting role still, but. Awesome road win, impressive shutout for the Saints and the Dennis Allen as interim head coach. Tampa Bay's got a long way to go, it looks like, in figuring out their offense as they lose Godwin. You can see the gap with Bernard. They need they need to get Fournette going, pound the ball a little bit, give Brady a break. You're not going to be able to throw the ball even in Tampa Bay, um, you know, 40 plus times a game. And, and when, and with the Packers, and things could change. But if you have to go to Green Bay in January to play in the championship game, to go to the Super Bowl, you're not going to be able to throw the ball 45, 48 times and have a ton of success. Need to see some balance in Tampa, some different things. I didn't really see much motion, some end arounds, different ways to get guys the ball. Really, especially in a Brady offense, very minimal screen passes, which is like the first thing teams will go to to help with the pass rush. So I put that more on leftwich. I don't get Arians calling out the kicking game when it's one missed field goal and you ask your punter to punt eight times. Like that's on the offense. Really no adjustments to help with the pass rush. I need to see a lot more from Tampa, a lot more balance and different ways to get guys the ball, especially with Godwin going down, if they're going to be a legit threat in the NFC shutout at home ends Brady's streak of 255 straight games without being shut out. Saints move to seven and seven bucks fall to 10 and four Dolphins next week for the Saints battle seven and sevens on Monday night as they both look to get into better wildcard positions in their respective conferences. So we still have four games to go, two games Monday night, two games Tuesday night before we close out week 15 in the NFL, but we learned quite a bit 
um, this past Sunday. My biggest takeaway was the Cardinals don't look all that for real. The Packers look like the clear best team in the NFL. And the Bucks, they have a long way to go to figure out their offense. Godwin going down. Brady throwing 48 times in a game where only 9 points was scored by the opposing team. About 15 passes too many, especially when there wasn't much screen passes or, or much like that going on that were, you know, known as the stat sheet as a pass, but really act as a run, similar to what Kansas City does, um, you know, which we've seen Tampa do in the past. They have a long way to go. AFC, more, you know, a month ago, we thought Kansas City was done really strong middle end of November through December, and all of a sudden they're the one seed. If it goes through Kansas City and AFC, I, re I really like them to be back in the Super Bowl. This is where they're at. And San Francisco at 8-6 and six is a very scary 8-6 and six team, looking like shades of 2019 from them. Thank you so much for listening to the All Around Guy podcast with Mitchell Stevens and making this show a part of your day. Enjoy your two games on Monday, two games on Tuesday. Talk to you again later this week.